Dear brothers and sisters, we celebrate with great joy the anniversary of the dedication of this church 59 years ago on November 5th. So Friday was the actual feast and we are able to transfer the solemnity, the celebration of the solemnity uh, to uh, Sunday. So we can already be beginning to think ahead to the 60th anniversary uh, of the dedication of this church. We're now in in the 60th year. And the texts for today's Mass help us to deepen, if you like, into the meaning of a dedicated, consecrated building. In the collect of today's Mass, we recalled how when the church was dedicated, it became a holy temple, that it was consecrated, a place in which God hears the prayers of his people, a place in which pure worship, true worship, is offered to Almighty God, and a place where fullness of redemption is made available to us. These are all the the rich gifts that are available in this place and the purpose for which this place has been set apart. That idea of true worship for God, that's what we come here to offer to Almighty God, true, pure worship. And it's a total giving. Sometimes people come to Mass, or rather they decide not to go to Mass, because they say, I'm not getting anything out of it. Which is the wrong way of approaching it. The question is, what are you giving? This offering of the Mass is a complete giving to Almighty God. It's not about whether you or I get anything out of it. It's a sacrifice that we offer to God. And we'll come on to the particular role of the priest in a moment. But we do get something out of it, whether we feel it or not. We get that possibility of the fullness of redemption, which of course depends on the dispositions with which we come to offer that true worship to God. In order to offer true worship, we need to have a pure heart. And that's something our Lord offers us as well. In the first book of the Kings that we read today, we hear King Solomon offering that prayer before the altar of the newly built temple, newly dedicated temple, in the presence of the people. And how he, he muses on the fact that this temple contains him who cannot be contained. This God whom the earth cannot contain dwells on earth in that temple, that consecrated temple. And of course, in that temple of Solomon, it would have been merely a spiritual presence. But then that God took flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the God-bearer, the Theotokos, as the Easterns love to call him, call her. And we read in the prologue of St. John's Gospel, the first chapter, how he was made flesh and tabernacled himself among us. He tented himself among us. He came to dwell among us. And so we call that place where the Blessed Sacrament is is reserved precisely the tabernacle. 
It is where God, that tabernacle, contains him who cannot be contained. Isn't that quite something to, to consider? Which reminds me, can you just get me that nice lace thing from the... Uh, On the occasion of the anniversary of the dedication of the church, uh, the parishioner gave this beautiful gift of, it's really kind of a corporal, which rests on the roof of the, of the tabernacle where the dome is, we remove it. And this now, we took it, I took it off so I could show you, it will simply rest there. And it is a silver thread, beautiful lace, with the IHS and a beautiful adorning uh, decoration around it. Uh, the IHS, the, the uh, initials of, of Jesus, the first three letters of the name of Jesus. Uh, and also in Latin it could stand Jesus Hominus Salvator, Jesus the Savior of Man. Um, so that's just a, a beautiful thing that adorns our tabernacle. You've seen an example of an offering. You won't get to see it anymore. I'm showing it to you now, okay? All right? You won't get to see it anymore. It's going to be hidden by the dome when it's on the tabernacle and by the monstrance when the monstrance sits on the tabernacle. It's all for him. It's an act of love for him. And that's the dispositions that we should bring with us when we come to the Holy Mass. Because the one who can, the world cannot contain is contained there and in every tabernacle uh, of, of the world. And King Solomon speaks about a special efficacy of prayer offered in this place. For sure, we can pray anywhere, and we should. We should always be praying at all times and in every place. But there is a special efficacy of prayer offered in this place, quote-unquote, from the reading, particularly for pardon, for the forgiveness of our sins. On the Feast of the Dedication on Friday, in celebrating the Divine Office of the Dedication of the Church, these words kept appearing on the page throughout the day as I prayed the different hours of the day. So I was forced and obligated to, to repeat them, to offer them. This place is holy wherein the priest prays for the failings and sins of the people. Special vocation of this place is so that the priest may be here for you to pray for your failings and for your sins. Of course, the priest himself is one of the people, and so he's praying for himself too. But um, this is one of the main purposes, after, after all. Pardon of sins, and what our Lord said, at, we heard at the end of the Gospel today, that that's why the Son of Man came, to save what was lost, and we we're all lost without him. We should all, of course, be praying about our sins and failings, that we might be forgiven and overcome them. But particularly the priest has a special role. And why the priest especially? The reason is that he, that there is what we call an ontological difference. That means a difference at the very core of his being between the common priesthood of the faithful and the ministerial priesthood imparted by holy orders. Each of us have been constituted of members of a, pre of a priestly people by our baptism, which is strengthened in our confirmation. And so in, to that degree, we can all say that we're priests. We're, we're identified with Christ, priest, prophet, and king. But there is a particular uh, form of the priesthood which the ordained priest has. It's not a functional difference. It's not just that I can do things that you can't do. 
It's an essential difference. Each one of those forms of the priesthood is ordered one to the other, but there is a difference not just in, in degree, but in essence. I'm not more a priest than you. I'm a different kind of priest, in essence. A holy power, the Second Vatican Council teaches about that difference in essence, not just in degree. A holy power, the Council goes on, communicated to the priest. It's given to him so that he can shape and direct the priestly people, effect the Eucharistic sacrifice, offering it for the people who participate in this offering by prayer, acts of thanksgiving, witness of a holy life, with abnegation and operative charity. In other words, the, the ministry of the priest enables the people to, to live a more authentically holy Christian uh, life, enlivened by charity. And Pope Pius XII, before that, had written in his encyclical Mediato Dei on the liturgy, when he says, one is the priest, Jesus Christ, whose sacred person is represented by his minister, who by virtue of the priestly consecration he received, is assimilated unto the high priest, and has power to work in the strength and the person of the same Jesus Christ. With his priestly action, in a certain way, the priest lends to, his, lends to Christ his tongue and offers him his hands. So you can think that there's this one priest, Jesus Christ, and there are those ordained, and there is like a coalescing of the two, where the, the, the priest, the ministerial priest, is somehow assimilated into that priesthood of Christ. So that when you come to Mass, you should not see the priest. You should see Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons why the tradition of the church is the priest does not face you. So you, 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 you forget about him and you realize that it's Christ affecting what is going on, on at the altar. You don't need to see me and I don't need to see you. We're all focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. I include it uh, as I stand at the altar. And I need to say that you know, I, I say this I get nervous when I preach about these things about the priest because word gets back to me that um, you know you, you think you, you, you think you're holier than everybody else. I have to assure you that's not the case at all. I am no better than any one of you here. I'm sure there are holier people here present than I am. It's just the call that I have, which you need. You see, we need the priest in order that there can be true worship. Without the priest, there cannot be true, authentic worship. And when we build a church, we kind of make a covenant, really, that we will always ensure that there will be priests to offer that true worship. Otherwise, if the true worship ceases, then the building is of no use anymore. And this week, the, the United States Conference of Catholics Bishops has asked us to keep a week of a vocation awareness week. And so I want, it begins today, and I want to join in that, to tell you that the priesthood is the most awesome calling, but also one could say the most awful calling, in that it fills one with fear and trepidation, a sense of one's unworthiness, and yet a joy in being, having been called. And I'd like to invite everybody here to be an active promoter of vocations to the priesthood. And this is not to belittle the other vocations in the church, like the wonderful vocation of the diaconate, which Deacon Boone here so faithfully 
uh, and obediently took up and exercises as well. I really value Deacon Boone's service here uh, at the parish and his support and his union uh, with my ministry here. The other vocations of marriage, which is what most of you are called to. It's not to belittle those vocations at all. But the priesthood is essential. And the religious life also is, an, is, an, is, a, is, is part of the Holy Spirit's work in the church, where there are those men and women who forsake marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. Whilst marriage images the, the, the love of Christ and the church, the celibacy for the light for the kingdom of God, in a sense, more perfectly images it. Because in the priest, particularly, there is an image of Christ who is the bridegroom, who espouses himself to the church, who is his bride. And that's a perfect marriage, even though it sometimes has its rocky moments. But it's a perfect imaging of the unity of Christ in the church. And the religious woman who dedicates herself to virginity for the sake of the kingdom of God makes that decision. She wants Christ to be her exclusive spouse. And in the early church, many virgins were martyrs because they refused to, to, to marry but wanted to be spouses of Christ only. So Christ is wedded to the church in his priest and the church is wedded to Christ in a certain way in, in religious women. Let us, let us really try and promote these vocations and encourage young people to consider the possibility of a special calling. Last Tuesday we had a Mass here for All Souls, the commemoration of the faithful departed. Well, we had three Masses, but in the evening Mass, particularly I'm referring to, we had three young boys serving Mass. And one of the uh, older parishioners came to me after Mass and said, Father, it was so lovely to see those three boys serving Mass. I prayed that each one of them would have a calling. So those three were Everett, where are they? Oh, they're all here. Everett, Augie, and Jake. So they have a parishioner who's prayed for them that they might have a special calling. No pressure. (laughs) But God's will be done. All right, not my will, but thine be done. The church doesn't want anyone to be a priest who has not been called to be a priest. So boys, don't worry. If you're not called, that's fine. But if you're called, you better answer. Okay. And anyone else who's youngish, not married, could also think, you know, they might be a priest. Uh, They might have a calling. And the church will assist them in that discernment. I know I was serving Mass as a boy. And uh, that certainly helped sow the seed of a vocation. There were other parishioners who asked me, wouldn't you think of being a priest? Well, I did think about it for a long time. I was 39 years old by the, when, I, when finally an archbishop laid his hands on me to make me a priest of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I thought about it. But it was always there from my youth. And I was doing good things. And no one should feel it can't be them. As I told you a few weeks ago, sometimes I was told, when I misbehave particularly, you'll never get a job, you let us down, you're no good. Well, in those 39 years, I was not sort of on the dole, as we say in England, you know. I was working, I had a job, good career, but the priesthood just kept coming, and in the end, God had his way, all right? So you, ask others, ask these young men and boys Do you think God might be calling you to be a priesthood? There are many young men and boys in this congregation. Are you asking them? 
Parents, are you asking your children to consider the possibility of a vocation to the priesthood or to the religious life? Because without the priesthood, there will be no true worship. And it's our job to make sure that we, as this parish, engender, if you like, another generation. Um, Not just of good practicing Catholics, but also of priests who can serve through that ministerial priesthood. Think of the joy... Oh, by the way, there's a really funny uh, poster here which was sent out for Vocations Awareness Week, which I haven't been able to display yet, but I thought I'd show you. There's a ser- part of the ordination ceremony is when the candidate is flat on the floor as the litany of saints is being prayed over him. And this went viral a year or two ago, this image of a little boy who was at an ordination ceremony, and he came up the side, he saw what was going on, he got up close, and he too lay down on the floor. <laughs> he wanted to see what was going on. <laughs> well, who knows whether he'll be a, a priest one day. Seeds are sown. And that's all we have to be doing. We have to be sowing the seed. Think of the joy of, of, Zachari- of Zacchaeus in the Gospel today who accepted Jesus' invitation to enter his house. He didn't mind being known as a sinner. He was a sinner. He was the chief tax collector and he was the lowest of the low in the community there collecting taxes for the occupying forces. Uh, it was, but it was Jesus who called him and recognized him. I'm going to dine with you. And the joy with which Zacchaeus accepted that invitation and a co- instant conversion, of course, he was a rich man. And he decided to give so much of his possessions uh, to the poor. Some of those possessions might have been honestly gained, but he also said, if I have stolen from anyone, I will return it fourfold. And each of us has this gift given to us, which we do not deserve. If we do not use it for the service of God, in a sense, it's a possession that we have no right to to continue um, possessing. We have to hand ourselves to God, each according to our own particular vocations. But we do need to promote the possibility, uh, sow that seed in the hearts of young men and women who might joyfully give themselves to God. And as you know, that this is happening. I'm sure many of you are aware of the crises in society, social crisis, ch- crises in the church as well. Yet in spite of all that, young men and women are joining, offering themselves to the priesthood, joining religious orders, and they are solid, firm in the faith, desiring to give themselves, zealous for souls, want to spread the word of God, serve others, uh, and be a spouse to Christ. It's countercultural. And um, there was a time when it was the right thing to do to be countercultural. Let's let's be amongst those. Check the bulletin insert this week. Pray um, in your families for vocations to the priesthood, whether or not the vocations might arise in your family. Or pray as individuals, pray as groups, let's pray as a parish. And to talk about vocations with the young people in our parish.